morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that, which is our area code here in Baton Rouge. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. Sure wish you would. Always love hearing folks all around the country and all around the town. Even all around the world. All around the world, for that matter. <laughs> That's right. We just like hearing from people. That's it. Just give us a call. We're going to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. You know, every week we kind of have like a little topic of some sort, just uh-huh. a, sort of a guide of things to talk about so we don't just ramble, ramble. off aimlessly. <laughs> <laughs> but it never means that you can't call in on any topic you might have on your mind. Oh, by all means, with any automotive-related topic you've got on your mind, please give us a call. That's what we're here for today. There you go. And this morning, it, just a beautiful, beautiful day here in South Louisiana. It was about 60 degrees when I got up this morning. It was going- 50% humidity? Uh, probably lower than that. I, it, it was pretty nice. It yeah. was very, 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 very nice. nice. Kind of the oncoming of fall, which is one of my favorite times of year. Yeah, I'm a fall and spring. Yeah, fall and spring kind of guy. And yep. I kind of had to pick one or two, it would have to be fall. I just, I just, I like the cool weather. And yeah. I just, yeah, and, and generally I travel a good bit in the fall, which would be making it better. <laughs> <laughs> but it occurred to me, the cooler weather is coming. Clearly, we hadn't gotten there in South Louisiana, and next week it might be in the 90s again. Yeah. Who knows? But when the weather starts to cool off, that brings about certain changes and things in your car. That sure. You're, if you kind of proactively look for them, you can head off problems. That's for a fact. First little cool snap, boy, the heaters come out and the sweaters come out and the mm-hmm. jackets. And like you said, before long, it's 90 degrees again and all that gets forgot about until <laughs> it gets cold again. Well, that's right. And, of course, one of the things that occurs to me that we see, and generally the first really cold day not like this but when it drops down and people around the country will laugh when i say 40 degrees is being really really cold but right that's pretty chilly down here the first really cool day like that you get a just a pile of folks who call in the car won't start they're having to tow the cars in right and what it is is a dead battery and batteries die in a number of different ways so sometimes people don't even realize it's the battery causing it but if your battery is three years or older then you might want to look at having that replaced or replacing it yourself Mm -hmm. this time of year because what happens is that the hot weather during the summer kills the battery. Right. In other words, the heat speeds the reaction up. So this battery is operating at maybe 125% of its normal capacity. So even though it's weak, it may only be at 75%, but it's running 125% over because of the temperature because of the temperature well it's still keeping up sure the first cool day that drops from 125 down to maybe 75 percent of 75 percent right and poop you got a dead battery so a lot of people say well the cold killed the battery no the cold just revealed the battery exactly and <laughs> but, like you were saying batteries die in different ways some of them give you a warning some of them don't give you any warning at all and yeah. it's just like you're saying though right now at three years old you've got the choice right well, now to have it done and you don't get caught out in the road or out late one night have to have a record bill it's proactive well and to me my thought is batteries are cheap enough let's say a fairly expensive battery is maybe ninety dollars if it's ninety dollars for a battery it just costs me thirty dollars a year to start my car sure which is well worth it because if one record bill is a hundred plus right so it is well worth thirty dollars a year for me to start my car and if you feel otherwise that's great in fact if you want my old battery you can come get it <laughs> i'll give it to you <laughs> you can use it all you want. but i'm just not gonna push the odds because the odds get way way higher when After. you get over three years right Let's go to our phone lines. We've got Sheila on the line. Good morning, Sheila. 
Good morning. Yes, ma'am. I sent you an email about a week ago about my 2015 Ford Edge. Okay. I did buy it new this year, even though it's the 2015. Mm-hmm. And it just lost power and wouldn't do anything. Okay. And so I sent you an email with the symptoms, and you replied right away. But I couldn't reply to you, so I apologize for that. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but... You'd have to send another email. You can't reply to the old emails. That's the way a server works. Oh, okay. So I'll have to go to the website. Correct. You have to go through the website each time. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, so you did answer my question that the problem I was having, if it's not displaying a message, if you take it into the shop, then you can't really diagnose it? Well, not necessarily. There are things you can check, and even though there's no message displayed, it may have some code stored in memory. Not everything sets a check engine light emissions codes will set a check engine light but some things don't so yeah there are things that can be done can't guarantee you a fix on it if there's no symptoms and you can't duplicate it you're going to need to be able to duplicate it in the shop to verify the fix but there are things that can be checked so i guess like it's driving today fine Mm -hmm. i I just hope it doesn't stop on well it will (laughs) (laughs) i know but it might be on the interstate yeah it will so oh yeah it's gonna do it just a matter of time you know whatever made it do it the first time is not going to go away so it's going to do it you just gonna have to either get it in have someone check it and see if they can come up with something if they can't you just got to be patient wait till it gets a little more consistent so they can catch it doing it and one of the things on there that does that the throttle body will shut down and you can give it to gas the car just won't go it just it locks out so you've got some power but you got about maybe 15 percent of your total engine power right. rather than 100 percent. it gets you enough power just to get, get out, off the road get off the road and that's the about it. and generally there's a little wrench light that'll come on when that occurs so you might want to yeah, look for that yeah that happened about okay. two months ago okay well there you go so that's one little piece of information you need yep. if that wrench light comes on then chance on a ford it's gonna be the throttle body or something operating the throttle body that has a glitch it ought to have code stored even though the light's not on that was replaced Lewis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but as you say that was replaced. There's about 15 parts of that system. They replaced one part. They, oh, may, they may have oh, just misdiagnosed okay. it. So you, you can't just change the throttle by and say it was fixed. Because it could be a loose wire. It could be the accelerator pedal sensor. It could be the computer itself. It can be about 15, 20 different things. Okay. So it's not oh, as simple right. as just going in and changing a part and hoping you fixed it. So okay. you need, need to bring it back and say, hey, guys, it's still not fixed. Okay. All righty. All right. Well, thank you so right, much, ma'am. and have a, have a great day. Yes, yes ma'am. ma'am. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. You want to be part of the Automotive Hour? We'd sure love to have you. And we've got David on the line. Good morning, David. Morning, Lewis. How's it going? Today? Doing great, sir. I have a question about oil. Sure. I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I had a, a Chevy Silverado, had the small block in it. Mm-hmm. I think at that time it called for 10W30. Very well may have. Last year, I bought a boat, mm-hmm. and it has the Mercruiser brand, but it's just the small block GM. But it calls for 25W40. And I know boats run under a higher load. Uh, You know, we're running Mm -hmm. 4,000 RPM down the river. Mm -hmm. But I was just wondering why it was such a big difference. Yeah. Where did you get the 25W40 rating? That that comes on the owner's manual? Yeah, it's on the manual. Yeah, that's probably something the way they set that engine up. See, generally a boat engine, even though it is basically the same block, it doesn't have all the same stuff that necessarily a car engine has. The car engines and stuff today, they have variable cam timing. They have hydraulic tensioners. They have all kind of stuff that the oil is doing that you probably don't have on a boat. Okay. So that would be my assumption without knowing more about it. See, the small block Chevrolet is pretty much 
gone yes. after ni- 1999. The GM no longer uses that engine at all. So anything that GM would do, you can't really equate back to anything. This is probably some engines they're buying the base engine and putting their stuff on them. I know back a million years ago when I used to work in an engine rebuilding company, one of the things you could always tell the boat engines, well, first off, they had brass freeze plugs in them. But secondarily, the camshaft rotated backwards in them. The cam was backwards because it, it turned backwards. So it's even though it's the same family of engine, it's different, and that's what that engineer decided that it needed. So it may be they're setting up the tolerances on them looser for whatever reason. You know, maybe because of the high RPM usage, they put a little more clearance on the bearings and stuff. They're building that engine custom, I'm sure, for them or having someone build it for them. Another consideration is a boat doesn't have a catalytic converter, which a car does. A car or truck would have a catalytic converter, and it may be that the volatility of the thicker oil would take out the cat. So GM would not recommend that oil. However, you get by with a thicker oil to deal with the greater tolerances, maybe the higher RPM, and not have to worry about the catalytic converter. So that may be another consideration. So I would go with whatever they recommend. Okay. All I right. appreciate it. All right, sir. Thank, Thank you. you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we always love having you. We're going to take our quick little break and be right back with more. Phew, I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's in auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh... All wrong, all wrong, all wrong. (laughs) Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hi, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And speaking of the radio show, we are celebrating our 25th year this year. That's right, as the Automotive Hour. As the Agco Automotive Hour. Just want to make everybody aware of that. That's it. <laughs> I had an article that I had read on the internet. Someone was summarizing some of the automotive shows, and they mentioned us in the top uh-huh. five, which I thought that was really great. They said one of the newer shows on the <laughs> yeah, four or five years old or something. Yeah, yeah, well, and we have had a podcast now, I guess, for I don't know, five or six years, maybe right. seven. I don't remember exactly when we started the podcast. So a lot of people, and we only keep two or three years online. We right. don't put the older shows online. And a lot of people think, well, that's all there is. But right. no, we have been doing show. it. 1991 that's it. is when we started doing the Automotive Hour. So That's been a long time ago. Yeah, unfortunately, we did not record the, the first, first years. Right. The first many, many years, probably the first 20 years, did not get recorded just because you didn't have podcasts or really a need for it right. at that time. So we just didn't, didn't we, do it. Yeah, sure wish we would. I'd like to go back and listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to see how much things have changed from well, that, 25 years ago. That's exactly right. We were talking a little bit about the cooler weather and stuff like that, but Sheila's question kind of brought up a point to me. And a lot of times we hear folks say, well, that can't be because I changed that. Uh huh. And you got to remember, there is not just a that in most cases. That means any one of several different pieces. I had a fella who had an anti-theft 
problem on his vehicle where it would shut down and lock up. Okay. He said, well, I changed the module and still doing it. Okay. Well, well that's, that's only part of the system. One of about a hundred different components sure. because you have a sensor on each door. You have a sensor under the hood in some cases. You have a the body module. control module. You have the right. theft module. You and have in, a key. You have a transponder on the key. You have all the wiring in between. Exactly. So it's not a case of just changing, changing a part. And that's why people go so wrong now where they'll get a code and they'll say, okay, this is the code. This is what's wrong. And what they don't realize is that is one of just many, many possibilities. Well, you can't take a code literally. You never I mean, can. No. I mean, you go through a, a process of inspection and checking until you get to the end of the chart. And if you've checked everything to this point, right, then you may have to change a part. Right. Well, it gives you a logical sequence to go through, but it requires a lot of detective work to isolate which component is causing the problem. And one of my favorite things, I guess, that I see all the time is people get an oxygen sensor code. Well, first thing is change the oxygen sensor. Uh-huh. But what they don't realize, number one, it could be the connector to the oxygen sensor. Sure. It could be the PCM itself just seeing the oxygen sensor bad, even though there's nothing wrong with it at all. It could be an exhaust leak because if exhaust is leaking and oxygen is leaking into the exhaust, then it's, it's going to set a code. Reading. It could be a misfire, which is causing the mixture to be too rich. It could be an air leak, vacuum leak, which is causing it to be too lean. And any one of many, many, many other things, including an airflow meter and sure. all these other sorts of things. So because you have an oxygen sensor code does not mean you have an oxygen sensor that is bad exactly it just means the sensor is being unfavorably affected it, well it's, it's reading, out of range it's reading either too much or too little oxygen Correct. relative to Whatever what it's supposed else is to going read on. and it's looking for a switch between 256 and so it's looking for 128 midpoint it's looking Correct. for it to switch back and forth back and forth about that midpoint but again if we have a vacuum leak it's going to switch to the too much oxygen and exhaust so it's gonna go to one extreme it's no longer gonna cross the midpoint it's gonna think the sensor's bad because that's all it knows so it it puts out a code it cannot determine that it's got a vacuum leak all it can determine is that it's reading out of range is reading out of range right so it's gonna set an oxygen sensor range code and the same thing with just so many 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 things another point i thought that sheila brought up and that is that just because the light is not on does not mean there is not information there to solve the problem. Sure. A lot of that, when the light comes on, it's, it makes what they call a freeze frame. It does. The freeze frame freezes all the data at the time the light came on. So the technician can go back and review what was happening. Recreate the situation. When the light came on. Mm-hmm. And a good thing with that, if you have access to that kind of information, is let's say you see an oxygen sensor code, but you go back and look at the freeze frame and you say, well, the engine was running lean. Uh-huh. And it had a pending code 174. It didn't set, but it was pending. Right. Okay, well, that means we've probably got a vacuum leak here. Exactly. Or something to that effect. And let's say we've got lean on both banks. Well, well then you've got something common. Yeah, something common like the airflow meter or something like that. Or maybe intake it's a huge boot. vacuum leak. Yeah, intake, intake boot, boot busted. could be broke. All sorts of things. But just because the light is not on does not mean you can't fix it. It right. just means that it's not going to have a direct route to it. And if the light is not on, doesn't mean it fixed itself. No, it de- never means it fixed itself. It just means just, it's not testing for that at this time. Right. It's going to come back. And not every system in the car is going to affect something that's going to cause a light. For instance, things like vacuum leaks will not in and of themselves set a light. No. The engine does not know there's a vacuum leak. No, it has no way to check for a vacuum it leak. It only knows when it affects an electrical component. 
for instance, if the mixture gets so lean that it sets a lean code, it knows the oxygen sensor isn't reading, it may set a mass airflow code, it may set an oxygen sensor code, but it can't detect the vacuum leak. And it depends on which vehicle, what manufacturer vehicle you're working That's on. That's right. Because we created that same symptom in the shop. We took a Chevrolet truck and a Toyota truck, mm-hmm. created a vacuum leak. Same in, exactly. In both of them. And we got a mass airflow code on the Toyota and a oxygen sensor code on the Chevrolet. That's right. So it just determines what it can. Another case is like with an EVAP system where the charcoal canister will rupture. Right. Well, that's a problem, but that's a problem on the mechanical side. It doesn't it does not know that that charcoal canister is ruptured. Nope. Now, it may be that when you go to fill your tank with gas, it keeps cutting off, cutting off, cutting off because it right. can't vent properly. Until that charcoal gets sucked through the lines and into the vent valve, clogs up one of the solenoids and jams an electrical solenoid, that's when the light's going to pop on. And it's going to set the solenoid code. And it's going to set it's a solenoid code. It's not going to set a canister code. Right. Because so, there's no way to check for well, a Well, and let's code. say you say, okay, well, I'm just going to read the code and go get a part. Okay, you go buy a $150 EVAP solenoid, you stick it on there, and in about a week, the light's back, back on. on again. You say, well, that must not have been it. So you go off on a tirade of spending money on other stuff, and that was it. It just clogged up the new solenoid again right? because you never fixed the original problem. Never cleaned you misdiagnosed the problem. And the, when the canister ruptures, it fills the line full of that charcoal. That's right. And it'll plug the lines up. Yep. Uh, in fact, we had one in the shop last week. Mm-hmm. The charcoal canister ruptured, and it filled all the lines. We had to drop the gas tank out to get the lines Blow cleaned out. the lines clean. And yeah. sometimes we'll even put a little auxiliary filter in the line just to, just to try it. to prevent the valves from sticking again right. but these are the kinds of things that can happen a lot of times had a gentleman in earlier this week he brought his mother's car in and it had a rattling noise in the engine okay and i told him i said well the air conditioning compressor is going bad mm-hmm. so what that's going to mean is you're going to be into the entire system replaced he says well i've already had that compressor replaced i said well it's great but, but the compressor is yeah. still bad and he pulled out his receipts. He had had it changed three times. Wow. And I don't remember the last three or four years, he's changed the compressor three times. I said, well, what that means is that they're changing the symptom. They're not fixing the problem. All right. There is a reason for, why the compressors keep going out. They're using it for a filter. Well, that's right, to clean out the mess from the system. Could be the first compressor failed for who knows. Maybe it didn't have enough airflow through the evaporator, so therefore the liquid return took the compressor out right it could be there's a restriction in one of the lines which blocked the oil flow whatever the reason the compressor went bad when it went bad the metal skewed out through the system so now the condenser's full of metal and everything else so they go in and they change the compressor well all that's doing is changing one component in a contaminated system sure average life is about two or three months and you're right back again now the second time it's worse because you got the metal from two compressors in the system now, you can keep on changing compressors. But you just keep filling the system up. Right. Because that stuff is it's a closed-loop system. So whatever goes in, goes out, comes back in. That's right. And if it's carrying metal with it, it's going to come right back into well, that yeah. compressor. And one little tiny microscopic right. part of metal, which is stuck in the condenser, is going to work its way through in time. Sure. Because that condenser may have up to 250 pounds of pressure on it. It's got oil flowing through it all the time. It's going to take a long time. If you ever saw a cross-section of a modern-day condenser, you'd be amazed. The little holes are so tiny that you can barely see them, and they flow for just hundreds of feet. Right. Just so, that, that little, what is it, three by three by two or something right, like that? but it loops back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Right. And one piece of debris anywhere in that condenser, you cannot flush it out. There is no way to flush that out. Forget it. I don't care what anybody tells you. You can right. flush it's on so that small. thing for six days. You're not going to flush it out. 
but inevitably and eventually, three, four months, six months, a year later, it's, it's going to work its way on through when it does. As soon as it hits that compressor. Yep. Just jammed up. And party time. Yep. <laughs> You're putting another compressor on it. Well, that's right. And hoses are another sure. problem. If you have the mufflers in your hoses, which a lot of systems do, because air conditioner pressures can make a lot of racket uh-huh. when they run the pulses and all that. So what a lot of manufacturers do will incorporate a little muffler into the hoses. Well, that little muffler is also a series of little baffles. Sure. So if that gets metal in it, you change in the hoses. Right. And like you're saying today's modern systems they run so small and so so much pressure if you do have a catastrophic failure like a compressor you're better off just going in changing the condenser changing the line yeah. changing the evaporator well, new compressor and be done with it the condenser is an automatic when the compressor goes out sure. if you don't you're being penny wise and dollar foolish you automatically can just figure a condenser right the filter dryer is a given automatically any lines that have filters or mufflers mufflers or any of that kind of stuff has to be replaced and very often if you can't flush the evaporator core out you may even be into evaporator core or at least if it has an expansion valve on your system on orifice tube right those type things because if that orifice tube restricts it's going to block the flow of refrigerant which is going to block the flow of oil which is going to take the new compressor out right so you're going to be right back where you were before well, and that's why when you go start shopping air conditioning repair, you may find one guy give you a quote for $1,500, another guy give you a quote for $3,000. And it may be that the guy for 3000 is too high, but it may very well be that he's doing a complete job sure. and the other guy is not. So you spend $1,500 for three months. Now you it's, spend another $1,500 for the next three months. Well, you spent more than you would have spent originally, and you still got the same problem. Right. So you still have to spend the three grand to get it fixed. And it's gets each time this occurs it gets harder and harder to repair because the debris from the compressor spews out through the system it gets harder and harder and harder to clean it up each and every time yep i remember we had a guy who kept eating compressors and he had changed what he thought was virtually every piece of the system he changed the condenser he changed the filter dryer he changed the compressor he changed the expansion valve and wham it went out again Uh lasted about six months and so he was really befuddled and he came to us and what we found was the clutch, the fan clutch, was bad. Right. And so what was happening, it wasn't, and this was on a Dodge diesel truck, that diesel engine hardly needs a fan at all. It's just not going to run hot. That fan clutch is on there to protect the AC. Right. Because it's not moving enough air at idle. The head pressure goes sky high, and there's no light for that. You're just not going to know it's occurring. But if that head pressure starts getting up to 350, 400 PSI, that compressor can't deal with that. Right, and it's going to come undone. It's going to come apart. When it comes apart, start off ground zero again. Sure. You go back, change everything you already changed before, all again. And very expensive lesson. And, of course, I remember he said, well, that fan clutch is about $400. Well, you just spent $2,500 yeah. <laughs> for yeah. absolutely nothing just to dirty the system up more. So. It's one of those deals where nobody wants to spend more than they have to, but you want to be really, really careful to spend as much as you should. Right. And that's the case with lots and lots of things on cars. You always want to be penny, you know, you don't ever want to be penny wise and dollar foolish because it just costs too much. Hey, one more quick little break. We'll be right back with more. 
I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah. I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Just sitting here waiting for you to call. Go give us a call, 291-6901. And should you happen to think of something after we go off the air today at 11 o'clock or maybe next week at midnight, you can always get your questions answered on our website which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. There you go. Well, it couldn't be easier than that. And Sheila had alluded to the fact, too, you will not be able to reply to that Correct. email. When we send an email back to you, it comes back from no reply at agcoauto.com. And that is an unmonitored mailbox. And what it does, we've got a little code that is generated when you send your email that's attached to it. You don't see it, but it's in there. That allows it to come through the first time. Uh But you can't reply to it because spam bots would get a hold of your email address. And And they fill your inbox up. You have a 1,000 email in there, and you couldn't sort through them. You couldn't even get to the people you need. So that's why we have to employ that system. So if you need to reply, you have to go back to the website and send another email, fresh email. From the form. Yeah, there's a little algorithm embedded in it and it will not reply it'll just kick back a message saying no reply or, right and it uh, says on the email that you can't reply it tells mm-hmm. you on that that you have to go back to the website you have a little link to take you back if you want okay but yeah you can't reply to those i won't get it number one it just goes to a junk bin and is disposed of because right. we were getting inundated you have spam bots that'll go out when they see a contact form send an email and when they get it back then they got your email address and they'll right. just and load, just you load you up, up. Yeah, you'll get ten thousand emails so we had yeah, time to go through all that stuff well i couldn't answer my listeners right email if that happened because it would take all my time just sorting through the junk <laughs> right so that's the reason we implemented that system let's go back to the phone lines with david good morning david good morning lewis good morning brian good morning my pickup is a 2007 mazda b 2300 four-cylinder okay I've never had an air conditioning problem. Mm -hmm. The controls for it are basic. On the left is a four-speed fan control. They Mm -hmm. work fine. On the right is a position for the different air flows, including two AC, max AC and AC. Mm -hmm. And those air flows seem to go in the right direction. The problem is the middle one, which is the temperature control, cooler and warmer. Mm -hmm. Okay. All I get is either really good air conditioning or ambient air. I get no heat for mixing or varying the temperature or just defrosting, for example. Okay. David, the first thing you want to check is to make sure that you've got heat available. And the way that is most easily done, with the engine running, go out and raise the hood and just touch the two hoses that go back to the heater core. Okay. And make sure both of them are really, really hot. 
if one of them is fairly hot and the other one is not, then chances are coolant is not flowing through the heater core. And those heater cores can plug up. Ford has had no small amount of problems with that. Another issue is if the thermostat is sticking on it and not getting hot enough, it may get up to 140, 150 degrees, but that won't produce enough heat to really feel it inside the truck. That's two possibilities. Now, if the hoses are both really hot and the engine's getting a full temperature, chances are either the control, the cable, or the blend door has broken and it's not moving the door far enough to get all the way over to the heater core. And you've got a heater core and evaporator core that either sits side by side or one atop the other. And there's a door that moves between them. And that's what controls that. Now, I'm not sure on a B model Mazda pickup truck, some vehicles, not many, but a few of them have a control valve also on the outside that cuts the flow of coolant to the heater core to help improve the efficiency of the air conditioner. That could also be a problem. Those are usually vacuum-operated. Vacuum, vacuum, if the vacuum hoses come off of it, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll quit opening or quit closing, depending on which way it works. So those are the kinds of things I would suspect. Just the heater core is not getting hot enough or it's not ducting air through the heater core, especially if the AC is all working fine. It is. Now, that knob in the middle, it's controlling a cable, or it may be controlling some kind of signal to a vacuum Either way, it could, it could be an electrical device with an actuator motor. It could be a vacuum control, or it could be a cable. I just don't know on that particular one. They use all three. Most of the newer stuff uses an electronic signal with an actuator. Okay. The older stuff used vacuum a lot, and some of them use cables. And what will happen on the cables is that they will start to bind over time. And sometimes all that stuff is plastic, and you may turn a knob, and it may break off on the end so it no longer works the cable. The cable may slip. The cable may come loose from the blend door. The blend door may break. So it could be any number of things. You just have to kind of get on your back and crawl up on a dash and turn the knob and see what's happening or take the panel out and see what's happening when you turn it. But check first to make sure both the hoses are hot because I have seen the heater cores plug up on those as well. Okay. Well, my temperature indicator on the dash Mm -hmm. does not seem to be different from what it's been for years for temperature, Mm -hmm. if if that makes a difference. Yeah, well, yes and no. Sometimes they will. Sometimes sometimes what you think is a temperature gauge, especially on Ford or Mazda products, is not a gauge at all. It's just a little indicator, and it has to get really, really cold before it moves at all. Otherwise, it just keeps it in the middle, sort of like their oil pressure gauges that look like an oil pressure gauge. Right, that's just a switch. Just an indicator, just something to make you feel good. <laughs> well, yeah. So you have to kind of watch that sort of silliness. But I would check those two hoses. If they're both nice and hot, then chances are something the, under the, dash. Yeah, the coolant's getting through the heater core. It's probably going to be something under the dash. One of the blend doors not opening for whatever reason. You just have to check and find out why. I sure do appreciate it. All right, Thank David. You. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. And, you know, with that simple test, mm-hmm. just checking the temperature right. on the two hoses, you know where to go look now. Well, you've eliminated about half, half the possibilities. The and yeah. I don't know. I I recognize David's voice. I know he's a very intuitive kind of a guy and a very logical because I'm sure he'll do that. But a lot of times you will tell people stuff like that, and they just don't do it. Mm-hmm. They just go on, and I don't know what the aversion is to a simple test, we see that where they say, I turn my key and it doesn't do anything. Okay, we'll get a voltmeter and check for voltage. Well, I'm just going to change the starter. Okay, we'll get a voltmeter and check for voltage. <laughs> right. You may not need a starter. Yeah. Well, I'm going to change. Well, okay. Call me back after you change the starter. And, yeah. And we'll go know, from there. Yeah. Well, it's still not starting. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, again, if you put a voltmeter starter and you saw you didn't have voltage, 
then you might have known you had a neutral safety switch bad or the anti-theft system was armed or any of the other dozens and dozens of things that, that can keep from starting other than a starter. Right. But people just kind of have a natural version to doing tests. And I know it takes a little bit of time, but something like that's a very, very simple test. Right. All you need is a voltmeter, yeah. digital voltmeter. And same thing with the heater. Just go out, touch those two hoses. If they are both equally hot and you can't touch them, then chances then, are coolant is flowing. Sure. Because if the coolant's not flowing, one may be hot, but the other one's probably not going to be because it's not going through the cold. Sure. It's cause it's going to be warm, but it's not going to be as hot as the right. other side. Because you get a little because bit of you get a little residual backflow back into it, right. which will warm it up, but it's not going to be real hot like it should be. Right. And if the heater core is not doing its job because the fluid can't flow through it, mm-hmm. then you know, hey, we've got a, a stuck core here or well, plugged up core. Or and ironically, that does not mean everything's fine under the dash. It does not. It just means we've got a problem here. here. We have to solve this first. And then go from there. I have seen instances where we found a plugged-up heater core, went in, replaced the core, or flushed it out, blew uh-huh. it out, whatever, and the heater still didn't work. Sure. Because you had two problems. You had a heater core and a blend door broken. It happens more than you think. Well, it does. And what can happen is, say, the blend door may break for whatever reason. The heater quits working. So they say, well, I'm just not going to use the heater. Mm-hmm. And they let it sit for three years, never use the heater. Well, now the heater core plugs up from sure. sitting. Well, again, it you could go either way. You could diagnose the blend door and go spend a bunch of money on that, but the heater's still not going to work. Right. That happens a lot. We had a car come into the shop not very long ago, and a used car lot had it, and the gas gauge was not working. Okay. Well, the first thing they did is they went and dropped the tank and put a new, um, a new fuel Cinder on it. Well, they, they put a whole fuel pump, a right. cheap Come. aftermarket fuel pump on it. Well, the gauge still didn't work. Right. So next thing, dude, they went to a junkyard, and they got an instrument cluster and plugged it in. Uh-huh. But when the guy plugged it in, he put the connector and forced it in backwards, which burnt the new instrument cluster up. Sure. So now they've changed the instrument cluster and the fuel pump. Still not working. They bring it to us. Well, the first thing that we detected is, hey, this connector's backwards. Flip the connector over, plugged it in. Instrument cluster still won't work. Uh-huh. Got the scan tool out, commanded it. The gauges are burned out in the cluster because it was plugged in backwards. Right. So we tell, okay, you're going to have to have an instrument cluster. Well, they send us another instrument cluster. We put it in. Well, now it's working. I can command it with a scan tool, but I still got no It still doesn't signal. work from I got the- no signal coming out of the tank. Dropped the fuel tank. The sender unit on the new pump that he put in was okay. defective. It was defective. Just uh-huh. a defective part. So I said, did you keep the old pump? Yes, I did. He brings me the old pump. I take the center unit off the old pump, put, put it on, on the, the new, new pump. Whoop, gas Everything gauge works. is fixed. <laughs> so, yeah, you can't ever overlook the fact that you can have multiple problems. Sure. And the biggest thing, don't ever, ever assume that a new part is a non-good part. I tell you, we, we take parts right out the box. They don't pass our inspection. Well, They, they don't even, put them right back in the box. They don't and, even meet the specs of the manufacturer many times. And this is real common on cheaper parts sure. like the aftermarket stuff. But I've seen GM, oh, yeah. Ford, and Chrysler parts right out of the box that right. do not meet their specs. Right. I remember a while back, we had a real rash of air flow meters with GM, like on a little 3.8-liter engines. Right. You could not get a good one. You might get three or four. You hook them up, hook a scope to them, and they weren't reading within GM spec even out of the box. Didn't wow. work. In fact, I had one guy come in, and I told him, I'm going to tell you right now, I can't get an air flow meter that's going to work on this. Well, what am I going to do? I said, well, why don't you go to a salvage yard, see if you can find a good used one. Uh-huh. Well, I don't want to. I said, I'm telling you, that's your best the, bet. The new one's not any good. Yeah, he went to the salvage yard, got a used one. I cleaned it off, put it in there. It worked perfect. Still right. working. But, yeah, don't automatically assume that a new part 
is a known good part. And that's where a lot of people go wrong. You know, they get a part, it's new part in the box, they put it on, they still got the same problem. Mm -hmm. Well, then they get off on a tangent, changing other parts when the part that they put on wasn't any good. That's right. Or it could have been installed improperly. Like Possibly. this last uh, instance we're talking about where they plugged the connector in upside down. They just assume that we put another part and we've changed both parts. It can't be anything we know about, so we're so going to send it send somewhere. Somebody in, that knows what they're doing. Yeah, which I think it would have been a whole lot cheaper had they sent it in the first place. There was nothing wrong with the center unit and tank because that's the one we inevitably put on that worked. Uh-huh. So they dropped the tank and changed the fuel pump for absolutely no reason. Right. And then created the second problem when they plugged, the plugged it in. Now, backwards. I don't know what the original problem was because, like I said, it had been messed with so much by the time I got it, but putting a replacement instrument cluster, plugging it in properly, and putting the original sending unit in fixed, fixed the problem. It. So, yeah, you can easily get off on a tirade sure. like that if you use part swapping as a diagnostic means. And as much as people have a aversion to spending money for testing, there's really only one reason to pay someone to diagnose your car. That's right. It's That's cheaper. Just, exactly. It's cheaper to have somebody tell you what's wrong with it, even if you want to change the parts. Right. Like we, We've got no problem doing that. Right. I mean, that's, in fact, I would rather do that for you to make sure you get the vehicle fixed right. Yeah, the, the reason that you spend money on diagnosis is because it's cheaper than doing it any other way. We do this to save money. We don't just do it just to do it. I have folks call me all the time. Well, I already know what's wrong with the car. I've had mm-hmm. a check. And, of course, well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to check it. Right. Well, I already know what's wrong. Well, I know you think you know what's wrong, but probably 25 times a week, somebody comes in and knows what's wrong, has already changed the parts that they thought was wrong and still got the same problem. Sure. Or they'll bring it into us, we'll check it, and we find something totally different is the, the problem. Mm-hmm. And even if you've had someone in a shop diagnose it, does not necessarily mean they diagnosed it properly. That's right. Diagnosis is it's a, it's a fine art. Well, it is the most skilled position in the shop. In all the shop, any technically competent individual can change parts. Sure. They can unbolt the water pump, put Both another one on. on. They can take an oxygen sensor out, put another one on. Most people could probably take a computer, a PCM out, and put another one in. Uh-huh. Where the trick is in telling you what is the problem, which one of all these hundreds of components is yes. the problem. And you always know when you've got a true diagnostician, when you say, okay, you say this is wrong, do you guarantee that's going to fix the problem? They say, yes. Then you're in the right place. Yeah, I guarantee it's going to fix it. Not, well, we've got to do this and see if it You know, now they're just kind of hedging their bet and uh-huh. all that. Now, clearly there are some chances, some things where you do have to do more than one thing. Another example, we had a gentleman bring in, I think it was a little Nissan pickup, crank, no start. Right. And yank, 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 yank. So Jeff starts checking, got no ignition at all, no ignition pulse, checks all the inputs, all the inputs are there, checks power and ground to the PCM, got power and ground. I got no output from the PCM. Mm -hmm. So we changed the PCM. Well, now it starts, but it doesn't run worth a darn. Right. What it does, it will go ahead and it'll start, Uh keep your foot on the accelerator a little bit, it'll run, but the engine's not making any vacuum. So you have hardly any brake. The power brakes don't work right. because there's hardly any vacuum. It's pulling about five inches of vacuum. And what's happened is that over the course of getting this thing repaired, it ended up sitting up a long time. Now, again, I haven't gone any further with it. He's debating now what he wants to do with it. Uh-huh. But it could be one of the seats fell out of the head. It could be some right. valves or jammed up in the guides. It could be some bent valves. Could be the tensioner's gone bad. I could mean, be it all could be all kinds sorts of things. Of things the point is there was no way to diagnose that because the engine didn't run. Right. So you didn't know what any of that was going to be until you got it running. You got it running. So now you so got now you it can, running. 
you'll find the other problem. Another example of that would be a car may come in and let's say it's pulling hard to the right. Well, one of the first things we always do is cross the two front tires to make sure it's not a tire pull because that's very, very common. Right. And there's no amount of alignment you can make to compensate for a tire pull. Right. Now, because you find a bad tire does not mean it's not also out of alignment. It could have two problems. Sure. It could be out of alignment and have a bad tire. Well, it could have hit a curb and knocked the arm back and busted the tire. It very well could have. And so that's why we always test for that. I've seen a lot of shops get in trouble. Car comes in. They check it. It is out of alignment. Uh They do an alignment and still pulling. Right. Well, now they're in an embarrassing situation. They don't know what to tell the customer. Because What do we do now? We charge you for an alignment alignment and the car is still doing the same thing. So that's where the diagnosis comes in ahead of time so you know or at least know what to expect. Sure. Hey, one last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at ATCO and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at ATCO Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we're trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call, 291-6901. This morning, I went to the parking garage to claim my car, and the guy ahead of me, they brought his car. When he opened the door, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like old jailhouse door. Open or something, <laughs> yeah. And it occurred to me, I was just listening to the commercial during the break about the Agco general inspection and once a year checking things. And one reason to do that is because about once a year, if you will take like some silicone spray or just anything and put a little squirt of lubricant on those hinges uh-huh. door latches hood hinges and all that sort of thing that can prevent not only the embarrassing squeak but a lot of parts that can go bad i've seen hoods that wouldn't open because mm-hmm. the latch had gotten dry the spring didn't have enough pressure to push, push that dry latch open mm-hmm. once you get it open spray a little oil on it and it works perfect works after that just fine and that kind of thing occurs what happens we've seen where that little roller detent in there will rust up next thing you know the spring pops out or whatever and on more and more cars today replacing that hinge is a major major deal Oh yeah because they're not bolted on anymore they're actually welded on at the factory right they weld the door to the body post and to replace that you have to go in and start cutting things out which means now you're into body work and painting and all that sort of thing even worse as that hinge wires the door sags down sure now the latch on it is hitting a striker at the wrong angle it's lifting the weight of the door every time you slam the door Uh so it can very easily tear up the door latch 
tear up the striker. I've seen the strikers break oh, out yeah. of the doorpost. Yeah. And again, you're into a bunch of body work and painting well, at that point. And if you catch it before it gets to that point, mm-hmm. you can go in usually and change just a little brass bushings. Mm-hmm. But if you let it go, that brass is that it's got a metal pin going through two brass bushings. Right. That brass is going to wear on that metal pin, mm-hmm. and that pin is going to start wearing into the hinge itself. Right. Cut into it. And once it cuts into it, you can't put a bushing in there that's going to stay. And Because uh, the hole is not round anymore. It's oblong. Right. And just a drop of lubricant could have prevented the whole could've, thing. Sure could. In fact, we had a fellow one time, his car would not start intermittently. Uh-huh. And what it was, the door hinges had worn out right the door was hanging down so much he was slamming the door he had torn up the little sensor in the door latch right so what would happen sometimes if you slam it just right it would make up sometimes it would hit and release and so it thought the door was locked and being opened so uh-huh. the theft system went on <laughs> and it would keep the car from starting sure so sure. just goes to show you how all these little weird things you know right. one thing begets something else begets something else and on and on and on it goes the key is maintenance on sure. a regular basis, and you come in once a year, and you can head a lot of that stuff off. And not only just the driver's door. Mm-hmm. You got some vehicles have two, some have four, even the trunk. Right. Deck there's lid. A, there's a, there's a the hood. There's a latch on the trunk lid. There's hinges on the trunk lid. All that needs a little lubrication, too. Yeah, not much. I mean, no, just not a l- very, very small amount. And you have, it's not one of those things where some's good and more is better. Right. I've seen them come in just caked with white grease oh, yeah. that had been sprayed in there and it's still squeaking. And and you get some gentleman getting his nice Italian suit. All right. And get a big a smudge of grease. Yeah, white, a smudge of grease across his shirt. Lithium grease on Yeah, it. yeah. That's not going to be a pretty sight. No. And so it, because some's good and more is not better, it just requires a tiny, tiny amount. Same thing with like your window frames and all. Uh-huh. Those rubber tracks. If you will take and clean those every once in a while, when you wash the car, just take the soapy rag, roll the window down, clean that track, get the gum and the right. stuff out of it, and a little bit of this clear, dry silicon spray in that track. Uh-huh. Now your windows roll up and down real easy. They don't bind up the regulators. They don't bind up the motors. Mm-hmm. And you probably save a couple hours of labor and a couple hundred dollars in parts. Well, easily a five or $600 repair if you but, tear up a window regulator or well, tear up a window motor. And the window regulators now today in today's cars are, in my opinion, very poorly built. They're very they're, light. They're cable operated. They're not the old scissor arm anymore. And it doesn't take much to tear one up. Well, if that door binds, that little motor's pretty powerful. Right. And it will generally shove it up or do its best to shove it up. And what's going to happen, the weak link, those little plastic rollers on that regulator are going to break. When it does, the cable's going to knot all up in the bottom of it. And it's done. That's it. There, at, there's at no fixing that very, one. very least, you end up pulling the door panel off and replacing the regulator. Sure. Possibly more. Some of those window regulators on some vehicles, I've seen three, four $400 just for the part. Uh-huh. Some of the GMs, I know like on the rear doors on some of your Buicks, they're five or $600 wow. for a window regulator that's crazy yeah and what's bad if the motor goes out a lot of times if you're lucky it'll fail in the up position uh-huh. so you can just not use the window if it's a back window but if the regulator breaks and the window falls down the bottom of the door then you got to do something about it yeah because i mean at very least you can have a heck of a wind noise going down the road <laughs> every time it rains it's gonna rain in your car you can't secure the vehicle any longer right i've seen them going down the road with duct tape on the windows oh, and yeah. rags stuffed in the windows and bags across the <laughs> just yeah just to save from lubricating the, the window track yeah instead of just a little bit of maintenance preventive maintenance yep. on it and that's just one of those things. There's probably dozens and oh, dozens sure. and dozens more. You know, we're just about out of time of day, so we're not going to go into all oh. the little things. But, yeah, just a tiny bit of lubricant on all the different things. 
even something as simple as the little flap door that opens when you pull the release to get to your gas, uh-huh. your gas filler. Uh-huh. Those things could stand just a little tiny smudge of grease on that little on the striker detent. Arm. Yeah, it's like a little part that when you slam it, it pushes it in and it pops back out. Uh-huh. And I've seen them come in where they won't close. They'll close. They keep popping back open. Right. The little and detent is stuck it's in. It's stuck in. You put just a tiny bit of grease on it or just a little bit of lubricant on it, and it starts working again. Yep. If you're lucky, it starts working again. That's right. Another if you're thing, not, change it. Pull too hard on that cable and break that cable. Now you're right. pulling the seats and the carpet and everything else to get the cable out of it. And it's buried in behind the fender and up through the body. And, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a mess. Yeah, it could have been all prevented very a little easy. Bit of grease. Just a little bit of grease, a little bit of maintenance. Hey, I see we're just about out of time. I want to start winding it on up. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Go to your favorite broadcast service, Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, Podcast Chart, mm-hmm. Player FM, Acastcom, Podfeed. There's there's dozens of there of are pod- dozens of them, and the Automotive Hour is usually available on just about all of them. So uh-huh. just go into your favorite one, type in Automotive Hour or the Automotive Hour if you want to be specific about there you it. Go. <laughs> and when it comes up, go ahead and fill out the written review. That'll help move us up in the range so more people can listen to us and we can keep on doing the show. That's what we're here for. There you go. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.